0: This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, I'm joined by Paul Salu, founder and CEO of Little Leaf Farms.
1: Paul, thank you so much for joining me this morning for the Impact Report podcast.
2: Thank you for having me, Katie. It's
1: my pleasure. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Little Leaf Farms is the best-selling greenhouse-grown lettuce in the United States, which is really fascinating to me considering everyone talks about the salad bowl of the country being out in the West. Uh, Arizona and California. How did your New England-based company get this title?
2: Well, first off, I'm I live in the Boston area, so I wanted to build you know close by from where I lived. And you know I believe that the food system is going through a transformation right now, which we're part of. And I'm a believer in what is called peri-urban. So returning the perimeter of these urban markets. Um, throughout the United States, back into their uh, traditional roles of having farms to basically supply the cities that they are that are nearby. It's going to be done very differently. Uh, you're going to, in, especially in New England or any Northeast or northern climate, you're going to need a controlled environment. So I think greenhouses fit the bill, and we we believe that this uh, transformation is going to result in higher quality better tasting fresher produce that the that the consumers can enjoy, and that's been that's been the reason why we've been successful. We just deliver a better product
1: that's that's really interesting so greenhouse greenhouses are the way to go, you're saying, but you still need the space for that right so how in an urban setting? that's a premium how does how has that worked out for you
2: well that's why i call it peri urban agriculture Mm -hmm. so perimeter of urban markets and so for instance we're 40 miles from boston so let's say if you wanted to grow in in the actual urban environment itself um, when our trucks leave here to go to the markets outside of boston Uh, where it's about a 30-minute truck drive, right, early in the morning with no traffic. So from a logistics standpoint, I view it's no different than if you actually are growing actually inside the urban environment. And because real estate is a lot more expensive in urban areas, our view is why do that? Why not go to the perimeter? And you virtually go 40 miles outside of any major city on the East Coast in the United States, there's farmland available. So our view is, uh, you know, go to where it is more cost effective and you still have all the benefits of urban agriculture without the higher cost.
1: Well, that makes sense on a lot of levels. Um, Can you talk us through some of the numbers of Little Leaf Farms? Like, When were you, when did you start the business? Um, And also just, It's amazing, so you go 24 hours is the max time from harvest to shipment. Um, There's 10 acres of lettuce producing over two million packages of lettuce each month. Can you tell us a little bit more about these numbers?
2: Yeah, I started the business really, I decided to start it in the spring of 2015. Mm -hmm. I found the land here in Devons, which is about 40 miles due uh, west of boston and basically broke ground and built the greenhouse beginning in september of 2015 and came into the market the following spring say may june of 16 and then it's been off to the races ever since so um you know we basically you know have built initially two and a half acres and then we expanded to five acres and then in 2020 we expanded to 10 acres under glass And we believe in greenhouses, uh, high-tech greenhouses, that's the future, and for a very simple reason. Again, we view cost of production is something that's really important, especially when you're dealing with a staple, like any kind of food product. And the one free input we have in our system, it's called the sun. And why you would ever bet against the sun, which comes to work every day, does its job, provides the full photosynthetic spectrum, um, and instead, look to use growing systems uh, without the sun. We don't understand that because we just think you're you're being you're building in higher cost, which at the end of the day, the consumers will not support long term.
1: That's really interesting. Can you tell talk a little bit more about the smart greenhouses and what that entails? Well, we, we have.
2: Yeah, we have hundreds of sensors in the greenhouse. So, our climate is controlled 24/7 365. Obviously, this time of year when I woke up and it was 15 degrees um this morning, we're heating the greenhouse, but then, you know, come 6 months from now when it could be 100 degrees outside, you have to cool the greenhouse. So, we have a very sophisticated climate system that depending on the outside environment we're either heating or cooling or in those rare cases during what we call the shoulder months, spring and fall, you don't really have to do either. Right. So, you know, we, we basically have a system so that we are creating in effect the Salinas Valley, which is a perfect microclimate for growing lettuce in California. And we're taking that microclimate and we're putting it into our greenhouse 365 days a year.
1: Wow. Wow. I read that, you know, your harvest is completely free of human hands. Well, we have a, we have
2: a, yeah, we have a fully automated greenhouse. So, you know, no humans are involved with having to seed or tend the crop or, or even harvest the crop. Uh, The crop literally moves through the greenhouse in a sophisticated, you know, automated system. But we still employ, you know, well over a hundred people. So just because we're automated in that part of our production, you still need packaging line technicians, maintenance technicians, forklift drivers, truck drivers, and then the office staff to support the business. So, you know, I like to describe it as intelligent automation. We've automated a lot of the work that eh, it's not really great for people to do anyway. And it also has a benefit on food safety. Where basically you um, eliminate a potential vector, a human being, from mm-hmm. ever having come in contact with the lettuce. So, especially in this age of COVID, you know, we're delivering a completely food-safe product to the market.
1: Yeah, that's incredibly important now: uh, safety of the workers, safety of the product, safety of the consumer. If we can take a step back for a moment, um, Little Leaf Farms is not your first produce or product or product like this venture. Um, what were you doing before Little Leaf Farms and what made you prepared to start growing lettuce in the outskirts of Boston?
2: Yeah, well that's uh, my background. I, you know, graduated from Cornell uh with a degree in plant science. So, uh, my career has kind of intersected between uh, you know, sustainable agriculture both from the standpoint of better um, utilization of agricultural waste products and turning them into organic growing substrates. That's, that's been one part of my career, and the other part has been actually growing food. So this is my uh, really third greenhouse business starting from our family's business in Connecticut Pride's Corner Farms, which my brother Mark runs, which is a large ornamental uh, nursery greenhouse operation. And then I started Backyard Farms, which was a 40 or is a 42 acre tomato greenhouse in Madison, Maine, and now Little Leaf Farm. So I'm I'm a believer in more locally grown food. And I think with controlled environment agriculture, like what we are doing, we can move the needle and take the 90 percent of the food that is being imported into New England right now, grown elsewhere, and then lower that and build a more localized, sustainable food production system.
1: Have you heard of, I guess, competitors or other companies in other places doing similar work? There's one here, here in New York, but I don't think it's as large as your operation or has as far of reach as yours.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a number of good companies out there uh, that, are, you know, that are basically trying to do what we are doing. And uh, they're having varying degrees of success, and I really support that because they're all part of the same local food movement that that we're part of. I mean, you know, this is by no means something that that is going to be exclusive to Littleleaf Farms. There's going to be a variety of companies uh, growing a variety of different kinds of foods. I project over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So we're at the beginning, I think, of this food system transformation. So we, we support that, and I think ultimately it's to the benefit of the consumer. Because if you look at leafy greens right now, still 95% plus of all leafy greens we eat here on the East Coast is grown on the West Coast. So there are a bunch of you know companies, we're one of them that are localized, the CEA producers, controlled environment ag producers, but we're still scratching the surface to the to the really market domination of the West Coast producers, in leafy greens particular.
1: I read recently that you're expanding to production and operations to Pennsylvania and North Carolina. Can you tell us more about these decisions and the geographic significance of these sites?
2: You know, our strategy has been clearly communicated. We're we're going to go down the East Coast of the United States. A um, couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, there's huge population density big markets from Boston right down to Florida. Um, And also, you're the farthest away from California. So therefore, we then, you know, the East Coast is being penalized by getting the least fresh lettuce right now in in the country because, as I mentioned, over 95% of that is coming from California. So we think that, um, again, with controlled environment, on these peri-urban-type locations outside of uh, major cities down the East Coast, we're going to continue to build out our capacity and, and duplicate the success we've had in New England in those other markets as we expand south.
1: Great. Now, are you surprised or unsurprised that investors are taking more interest in this space?
2: I think um, food now and is something that is is becoming a bigger issue. Um, topic and bigger area for, for investors. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, you need capital to expand and to build these businesses. Um, And so it's great to have the investment community uh, behind you, because if you have a good business plan, there is capital available. So I think it's good. um, And I, and I applaud, you know, the, the interest of the investing community. I think many of the investors I see coming in, don't really have a background in agriculture and so i've i found some of the investments and valuations you know in 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 companies that have attracted investment somewhat curious but that's just my own personal opinion and i think the market will get smart really quickly because i think markets are really good at sorting things out and you know again we're focused on the absolute highest quality, the freshest product, and then also, uh, you know, delivering at a at a cost and at a price that the that the market will will support and is sustainable to to basically where the pricing is from the West Coast field-grown, uh, leafy green producers. Yeah, you know, part of this too is uh, is making our communities more resilient, right? And I think, you know, there's a, a lot of reasons for that. I mean, climate change and You know, natural weather patterns. And then, of course, this pandemic we're in. So I think it's put a lot of uh, pressure on these long distance supply chains. So I think having having regions be more resilient and food production, obviously, is part of that, I think, is a is a long term trend that we're betting on.
0: The Impact Report is brought to you by the MBA in Sustainability Program at Bard College. Recently named the number one green MBA and ranked as a top business school for nonprofit leaders by the Princeton Review, Bard MBA in Sustainability offers a globally leading business curriculum that integrates sustainability vision, real world consulting engagements, organizational transformation, and entrepreneurial training, equipping graduates to lead a just transition to a sustainable future. The hybrid program meets one weekend per month in New York City and online two evenings per week, allowing students to complete the program from around the U.S. without halting their careers. BARD MBA is accepting applications from aspiring changemakers for Fall 2021 enrollment. Learn more at gps.bard.edu. Obviously,
1: what you're doing is in and of itself a sustainable um, measure for the food supply in the regions that you're serving. But in general, what does sustainability look like in practice at Little Leaf Farms and how may your growth amplify or hinder these efforts?
2: Well, I mean, when we talk about sustainability, it's something, A, it's a core belief um, of mine and my leadership team and the people that work here. And, uh, And also there's just practical business reasons to embrace sustainability. I mean, some of, those, some of those examples are A, we use a greenhouse. So instead of having you know indoor farming where you're completely dependent upon supplemental grow lights, which costs money and, and both to buy and to run in the form of electricity, we're using the sun. And so I know that sounds really basic, but it's an important differentiation between what we do and some of the vertical farms do. Secondly, um, we have 10 acres of, of roof, so we have specially designed greenhouses that are pitched in one direction, and when we when it rains, we collect all the rainwater off the roof, and that rainwater is collected in lined, fenced-in basins, and that's the water we use to irrigate our crops. So there's a reason for that. I mean, rainwater is the best water for irrigation, and It falls out of the sky for free. And so from that standpoint, we have 10 acres of greenhouses and we don't even have a well on our facility. So we're a big believer in using what Mother Nature can provide. And then also um, falls into the way we grow our crop. So we don't use any chemical pesticides. We use something called biological control. So there are some pests that can get into the greenhouse and we carefully track and monitor that. And then we put in an insect pest to the pest. So, um, so for instance, the uh, the pests that we are concerned about are herbivores. They would they would be a, potentially eating our lettuce. So what we do is we put an insect carnivore in, who prey on the insects that would prey on our lettuce. Now we mm-hmm. like that because it works, it's cost effective, and there's never any chemical residue on our on our product, which is important to me and everyone. Else. Definitely.
1: Now, I heard a lot of the things that you're proud of um, in your work. Is there anything that you think needs more work or further
2: uh, development
1: to become even more sustainable?
2: I would say uh, we have so focused on sustainability. So, you know, even to the to the electricity we use, we, we located in Devon's where there are large you know photovoltaic um, fields. So, you know, good percentage of our electricity is even derived from the sun. But I would say ultimately, um, yeah, there's further things that we can do in regards to geothermal, um, even more use of solar in our systems. And so we're looking at that at future facilities where, you know, geothermal You go four foot below the ground and it's in the low fifties, right? Which in the wintertime is a source of heat. In the summertime it's a source of cooling. So again, use the earth as basically to help help you maintain the climate in your greenhouse. And then also have a big enough property where you could have your own solar field that would be integrated actually into your greenhouse. So we're really focused on on these things because I think, you know, generating lettuce at a at a at a good cost of production so that it can be a fair selling price. And also a low carbon footprint is really important and something that we're really focused on going forward.
1: Now, what do you think the future holds for hydroponic and greenhouse farming?
2: I'm bullish. And, uh, you know, we we've, we've, I've backed up that statement with the investment that we've made here at Little Leaf, both now and going forward. And, you know, I look at you know, another example of a greenhouse crop of tomatoes that if you look back over the last 25, 30 years, it's principally gone from you go to the grocery store and be 100% field grown tomatoes. Now you go to the grocery store and it's predominantly greenhouse grown tomatoes. So that's taken it 25, 30 years to do. And I'm predicting leafy greens is gonna follow a similar pattern uh, for a lot of different reasons. Freshness, quality, food safety is a big one. The West Coast producers have been plagued with continual E. coli 0157 contamination because they have these cattle and dairy farms next to lettuce fields, which is a real issue. You don't have that, obviously, in a controlled environment. So I think that same sort of growth is going to occur in leafy greens, but it's going to happen in a faster time frame. It's not going to be 25 years. It's going to be in the next 5 to 10 years. That's my prediction.
1: That's fascinating. And you think just because the climate of the the market, the consumer, the investor, and also just what will be required to feed the population?
2: Well, I, I believe that in our, our view, it's all about the consumer. So it, the consumer doesn't really care about our technology. Most of them, some of them might care about our sustainability. I hope many of them do. But ultimately, it's delivering a great quality product. It's food. And fundamentally, you know, we have this relationship with food that if it tastes good, we're going to eat more of it. So mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't get lost in the, in the techno speak, right? You need to be very focused on the consumer and the grocery stores and the online merchants like Amazon that are the delivery system, you know, for, for our food that we grow here to the consumer. So we're very, very focused on the consumer and front and center, and we have a marketing department that that does a lot of work in that area because that's just fundamental and you can never, never lose sight of the consumer.
1: Very well said. Um, how can listeners learn more about Little Leaf Farms and where can listeners purchase your delicious lettuce?
2: well www.littleleaffarms.com. uh we're a new company but you know we we've, we've made a lot of impact in a relatively short period of time and we're in close to 2000 grocery stores right now so we're we're virtually in everywhere in in New England and um and we're moving into the New York City market and then down into the Philadelphia market as we speak so um yeah i mean if you don't find it in your store, info at littleleaffarms.com, and we'll respond. But um, we pretty much have really broad-based distribution, so most, most leading grocery stores carry our product.
1: Well, that's fantastic, and I'm so grateful for your time today, and it was wonderful to learn more about Little Leaf Farms. And I look forward to seeing your lettuce in my local grocery store and um, hearing about your uh, future
2: growth. Katie, thank you so much and uh, good luck with uh, everything you're doing and the great work.
1: Thank you, Paul.
0: We appreciate our loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, Share a screenshot to your Instagram account and tag impact report podcast. Learn more about Little Leaf Farms, including where you can find their products by visiting littleleaffarms.com. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, March 5th. We'll be speaking with Natasha Dyer. Senior Recycling Program Coordinator for the City of Atlanta. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the BARD Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career in sustainability. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, Fashion, circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industry. Visit gps.bard.edu/slash resources today.